Okay, we're going through the book of Acts. I've really been enjoying it. And today, we're in Acts chapter 6, and it's an interesting passage. And there's an easy way to teach this, and then there's like a really complicated way to teach it. So I chose the complicated way because I respect your intelligence, and I just don't like easy, cheesy, like, I just, I like to get into it. So today, we're talking about biblical justice. Now, justice is kind of a sensitive topic. Um, How many of you guys are aware that, like, you know, 2016, 17, 18, there's a lot of talk in the media about justice? Anybody aware of that? Or is it just me? Okay, so some of you guys are. When I was your guys' age, I was literally just clueless about what was going on in the world. Like, I was like, yeah, just give me Super Mario 64, and I will be happy forever. Um, But some of you guys, you're hip. You know what's up. So this is an important topic because you guys are not just at least I think, you guys are not just the future of the church. You guys are the present of the church. You guys, as young people, are called right now to live for Jesus in our culture, in our context. And so let's just dive right in. Let's really quick go over what's been going on in the book of Acts. So this is about the early church, okay? Jesus has died, but then he comes back, rises from the dead, and empowers the early church to follow him. There's a mission It's go and take the gospel into the world. And so things are going well. Peter and John are kind of our two main characters so far. They're preaching the gospel. They're getting arrested left and right, but people are still getting saved. There's this huge revival blowing up. Tons of community. These guys are doing home fellowships and home churches all over the place. There's boldness. Even though they're getting arrested, they're just like, man, you can't knock us down. You can't stop us. We're going to go preach the gospel. There's giving. People are selling their homes and like donating the money to the church to help other people in the church who are poor. It says that no one had need, everyone was taken care of. So it's a really good time in the church. But now we see there's gonna be this need that rises up. So look in Acts chapter six, verse one. So it says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. How are we doing? (laughs) Like, this is exciting, right? Super exciting stuff. (laughs) It's like, there's a bunch of widows and they're like, we're not getting enough food in the daily distribution. Like, this is is exciting. Uh, I'm being sarcastic, but actually it is. We'll, We'll keep getting into it, okay? So let's explain what's going on. So this is the early church. And what does the early church do? What does the church do? It takes care of the people in the church. So what's a widow? A widow is somebody who had a husband, and then the husband passed away, and now we have a woman who's living on her own, and she doesn't have a man to provide for her or take care of her. Now, for those of you girls who are like, I don't need a man to provide for me. Like, this is like an ancient culture where women did not work, okay? So in this culture... um, they needed a husband to take care of them. And so this is a culture where if your husband dies, like you're, you're left out to dry. And so it's a situation where the church steps in and says, okay, we're gonna donate, we're gonna help these women by giving them food and money. So you've got two groups of widows. There's the Hebrew widows. These are Jews born and raised into the Hebrew culture. They grew up going to Hebrew school. They grew up learning about the Torah and about, or not Jesus, Jesus, they didn't learn about Jesus, but they learned about Yahweh, the Old Testament. And then you have the Hellenists. Here's what a Hellenist is. A Hellenist is a Jew who is not quite a Jew. It's a Jew who's born into Greek culture. So even though they're Jewish by blood, they're raised in the Greek culture, which means they did not grow up learning about Yahweh. They didn't grow up reading the Torah. They didn't grow up with the traditions. They were, by all you know, extended purposes, they were basically Greeks, even though they were Jewish by blood. So here's what's going on. We've got people who are judging other people because of their background. We've got this group who are basically this, this Jewish Greek group who are like, hey, these, the, the normal Jews, the ones who were born and raised as Jews, they're getting special treatment. They're getting taken care of. Their widows are being blessed. Their widows are getting food. Their widows are being taken care of. But us Hellenists, us Greek Jews, 
because we're not a part of your culture, we're not being taken care of. You're, you're ignoring us. When you go around with the money to take care of the widows, you, you pass over us. You neglect us. So this is a claim. The Hellenists are saying we're being left out, and this is a claim of discrimination. Now, how many of us in our culture have heard of people saying they're being discriminated against? Anybody? Like, is that a relevant topic? Yeah, we see this all the time. People in culture at different times rise up to say, hey, our group is being discriminated against and there needs to be something done. So what next? What happens? We'll look at verse 2. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here's what's going on. The church leaders say, what are we going to be? Like we've got these widows coming to us saying, hey, we're being discriminated against. What are we going to be? Are we going to be a charity? Are we going to be a feed the hungry ministry? Now listen, they're not saying that those are bad things, but because remember, the church right now is generous. Like the church is giving. The church is all about helping others. The church is all about giving to those who are in need. But the question they're asking as leaders is, okay, we're the church leaders. This is like, you know, the apostles. They're like, if we start focusing all of our attention on people who come to us with needs saying, hey, we're being left out, we're being discriminated, we need help. If we become people who are just focused on that, what are we going to leave behind? It's the word. See, these guys felt called to teach the word. They felt called to preach. They felt called to share the word of God with other people. In uh, the Gospels, Jesus says, when he's in the desert and Satan comes and tempts him, um, Satan says, Jesus, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus is like, hey, Satan, listen, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to make a point that the word of God is important. It's something that should be valued. So the disciples understand. They're like, okay, we're people of the message. The message is important. We need to be people who deliver the message because the message has the power to change lives and feed souls. So what they say is, yeah, these widows, you know, sorry, it's not our problem. We need to go study the Bible so they can starve. All right, let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. You're like, what? This is weird. This is, no, that's not, so, that's not what's going on. Um, here's what's going on. They care. They're just approaching it differently. Look at Acts chapter 6, verses 3. They say, therefore, brothers, let's find from among us seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's what they do. They say, hey, there's a problem. How, how are you guys doing? Like, you're, you're like, I am here. I showed up. I'm early. Um, it's, it's in the morning. I wanted to hear a story about Jesus fighting demons, and you're talking to me about like food distribution. Listen, it'll get better. We'll watch a video. Just track with me, okay? Here's what they're doing. They're saying there's a problem. They're acknowledging that there's a problem. There's women who are in need. They're saying we're being discriminated against. So do they just ignore it? Do they just say, oh, you know, whatever, they can figure it out? No, they say, let's put some good men on the job. Look at verse five. And this pleased the whole multitude. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, from the Lion King. Uh, <laughs> hey, Pomba! Uh, uh, Parmenas, Parmesan. Nicholas. Yeah, they chose all those guys, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here's some directions we could go with this message, okay? We could talk about pastoral roles. You know, we could say, okay, here's what uh, someone who wants to be in the ministry, here's what they should look like. They should be spirit-filled. They should be of good reputation. We could talk about the qualifications of a servant, but I was praying about where to go with this message, and I kind of landed on the idea of biblical justice, because I think that's the hidden gem in this story that people sometimes gloss over. They want to talk about other things. I feel like for us, it's a relevant topic. Let's talk about what is God's response to injustice in the world. So first of all, what is injustice? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's injustice? Anybody? 
What do you guys think? What's that? It is. It is. Uh, Batman, Superman versus Street Fighter or something. No? I wish. Dude, Batman versus Street Fighter? That'd be rad. Does anyone? Okay. Caleb, what's injustice? <laughs> I told you I was going to call on you. Not justice. Great. Okay. <laughs> Love it. I put in my notes a lack of justice. So basically the same thing. Here's the definition. Injustice is the deliberate failure to give another person what they're due or to honor them. So here's an example, okay? How many of you guys work? Anybody have a job? Yeah? Okay. So you work and then your boss doesn't pay you. Is that justice? No, it's injustice. You're walking down an alleyway. Someone stabs you for no reason. Is that justice? No, it's injustice. Um, now, you go to court, and you're like, hey, this guy stabbed me, and the judge is like, eh, I'll let him off. It's no big deal. Is that justice? No, it is injustice. So, in the story, we have a claim of injustice. The Hellenists are basically making a claim of racial discrimination. They're like, hey, we are basically Greeks. So, you know, even though we're Jewish by blood, we grew up in Greek homes, we were raised by Greeks, you're giving favoritism to the Jews. So it's a claim of racial discrimination. Is that relatable to what we deal with today? Absolutely. So how do we deal with this biblically? Well, what we're gonna do today is we're going to piece by piece watch a Bible project video and then have a discussion based on it. And we're gonna stop and consider how it connects with the story. So let's jump right into it. Here's the first part of the video. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. All right. So, to start off with, let's ask a question. Why should we care about others? Based on what we just saw, make sure you're paying attention to these videos because I'm going to be asking you guys questions. Why should we care about others? What, what is the core biblical reason we should care about others? Yes, Philip. Because in the Lord's eyes, we're all equal. Yeah, in the Lord's eyes, we are all equal. That's a great way of phrasing it. Yeah. Yes. We're all made in the image of God. So C.S. Lewis had this great quote that I read one time. You guys know C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. So he was saying that, um, you know, when you're riding on the bus and you're sitting next to somebody, how many of you guys take the bus or like train places? Yeah? Okay, so you're riding on the bus. Let's say you're sitting next to somebody and like maybe they're smelly or maybe, you know, they're kind of weird looking. Um, it was saying, he said, always be kind to the people that you sit next to on the bus because they might be the closest you ever get to the image of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that homeless guy on the bus, he's made in the image of God. So you're looking at him, you're actually getting pretty close to looking at God. And we think of, in our culture, the people who are you know, Instagram famous, celebrities, they've got the perfect bodies, perfect makeup, perfect hair. We look at those people and we're like, oh, they're so godlike. but really everyone is. Like, literally, the homeless guy down the street. Have you guys ever, like, if you go online, you can look at, like, um, there's photographers who've taken portraits of homeless people. They're actually quite beautiful. Um, there's, like, a sadness in their eyes, and you can tell they've been through things. But whenever I see those pictures, it just reminds me that every single human being is made in the image of God. No matter how much money they make, no matter how popular they are, everybody in God's eyes is equal because they were made by him. And the church leaders get this. I mean, in the book of Acts, they see a group of people, these widows, saying, hey, we're being discriminated against. And instead of saying, Psh, that's an exaggeration, like, Psh, you, like racial discrimination, what are you talking about? That's not going on. They said, you know what? These women who are complaining, they're made in the image of God. 
We should love them because God loves them, so we're going to care about the things that they care about. And so they understood, and so they helped them. Now, here's a question. These women, right, coming and saying, hey, we're being discriminated against. We need help. What made them deserve help? Anybody? Why did they deserve help? And counselors, feel free to jump in if, you know. What do you think, Stefan? Exactly. They deserve help because they're made in the image of God. You're walking down the street, you see a homeless person. They're asking for food or money. In our culture, we can look at somebody like that and say, well, they, they didn't work for it. Like, they should just go get a job. But you know what? They're made in the image of God. And so that means that they deserve love. Because, and if you're sitting here and you're like, but they didn't earn it. Because we live in a very, you know, capitalistic culture, which is fine, you know, if you're a business person, if you want to operate under those principles. But as a Christian, you see somebody and you think, well, I'm not going to help them because they don't deserve it. Maybe at your school, you see other students and maybe God puts it in your heart to help them, to reach out and you say, well, they didn't earn it. But here's the thing. Have any of us earned God's help? Have any of us earned God's forgiveness? No. And so as Christians, we are people who give love to those who don't deserve it because none of us deserve it. So the ancient people, the ancient Jewish people were pretty much the only people during their time that believed things like this. It's a uniquely Jewish Christian contribution to the history of human civilization to believe that all people are made in the image of God because the entire Greek-Roman political system was built on the concept that all humans were not created equal. Aristotle argued that only rational humans, which did not include slaves, were equal. So the ancient Greek and Roman lifestyle was built under this principle that the Romans and the Greeks, the elites, they were made equal, but slaves and lower class people, they were unequal. The Jews and the Christians were the ones who came and said, hey, it's not actually this principle of it's a dog-eat-dog world. In God's eyes, everyone, or Greek, uh, Roman, Jew, slave, free, men, women, all created equal and all deserving of love. So God's worldview is different than man's worldview. Let's continue on in the video. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. All right. So, next question. What do you guys think, what are some examples of injustice that we see in our world today? Anybody, what do you guys think? What are, what's injustice that we see in our world today? Yes. Racism. Yes, that's... That's a huge one. It's been going on since, I mean, we're seeing it here in the Bible. It's always been a part of human culture to basically say, my race is better than your race, whether it's, you know, the color of your skin or maybe your background or maybe your, you know, civilization's history. Maybe you come from a nation of, like, warriors and you're all about going and conquering, so you look at another nation that's like, you know, I'm talking in the, the Greek and Roman Jewish world. You're looking at an, another nation that's, like, kind of peasants and it's this peasant nation and you're a warrior nation, so you're looking down and saying they're lower class. In our current culture, we see racism all the time. I mean... I mean, I'll be honest, like when I grew up here in Vista going to high school, um, a lot of people I knew were racist. I went to a primarily white school. And I'll just tell you, there was some inherent racism by people my age towards people of Hispanic backgrounds. Absolutely. And I realize now that that's wrong. Um, what's another bit of injustice that we see in our world today? Anybody else? Brantz, what do you think? Murderers getting freed. Yeah, that's total injustice. Like somebody murders somebody, and I mean, do you see that happening a lot? Uh, I've seen before like celebrities, basically, you know, like there's been celebrity crimes by like big name musicians or movie stars, and because of their 
wealth because they're able to afford a really good lawyer, they're not given the same punishment as somebody else. That's totally injustice. Yeah, Gwen. Yeah, absolutely. People committing crimes or harming other people and then getting away with it and nothing happening. Um, I think abortion is a huge one. I actually thought it was, I, I don't know if this was their intention, but I think it was. In the video, they were talking about injustice being something where um, the weaker someone is, the easier it is to commit acts of injustice against them. And there's a guy holding a piece of fruit. And right when they said the weaker, um, he threw the fruit on the ground and you could hear very briefly uh, like the sound of a baby crying. I think that was probably intentional on their part because think about it. Who is the weakest in our society? Who is the one who can't speak up for themselves? It's the unborn. And we see all, like our culture is one that praises abortion. Our culture is one there was a campaign that went out recently where basically it was this idea of, um, it was on social media, it was shout your abortion. So for people who had abortions, it was like go on social media and like post about how great it was and how great it made your life. Um, it's a huge amount of injustice. Um, another thing that we see is bullying. You know, and I know that's one that we can kind of laugh at, you know, but it happens all the time. Um, I can say growing up there was times that I was bullied, but I can also say there was a few times where I actually uh, bullied other people. And in schools, all the time, we see this happening where it's an act of injustice where somebody is looking at someone and saying, because you're weaker, because you're smaller, because you, you know, socially are maybe awkward, I'm going to take advantage of you and push you down so I can elevate myself up. And this happens on a small scale. You know, for me, I got teased a lot about my weight. Um, you guys have probably heard many times the story about one time I was in PE class, physical education, wearing those stupid little blue Calvary shorts, and my friend Mike was like, Aaron, your legs are the size of two Christmas hams, and everyone laughed at me, and I still have mental scars. Uh, every time I look in the mirror, I just see hams. Anyway, um, and then on, there's big scale ways that this happens, like racism, slavery, abortion, murders. So let's continue on in the video. We'll keep discussing this. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. Mm. I, love, I love that word, tzedakah. Everyone say that, tzedakah. It's this Hebrew word that means righteousness, and it's talking about right relationship. I just, I love it. If you wanna like nerd out, go home and type in Sedeqah, Hebrew, what does it mean? And just get into it. it it's, it's basically talking about God's relationship to us as people and him being righteous because he always keeps his end of the relational bargain. Like for instance, uh, if you, you know, grew up with a good dad, um, I know some of you guys didn't, but if you did grow up with a good dad, for him, Sedeqah, Righteousness would mean him taking care of you, tucking you in at night, reading you stories, you know, playing with you, that kind of thing. That, that is him holding up his end of what it means to be a right dad in a right relationship. God is always righteous. So, like, just review, what is God's definition of righteousness? I just basically said it. Anybody? What is it? God's definition of righteousness would be Yes, exactly. See, I just said it. It's easy. It's just good. Repetition helps us internalize it. Um, God is always righteous because he always keeps his end of the bargain. And God looks at you guys, and he sees you, and he says, for me to be righteous, it means treating you as loved, as respected. And the crazy thing is God does that even if we don't. Like, there's so many times that I am not righteous towards God. There's so many times where I sin, sometimes just absentmindedly, you know? Like, you guys, you guys probably know there's times where you just sin. Like, it's an accident. Um, you're not really thinking, but, you know, you just get in the flesh and you do something stupid. There's other times where we sin and we just, we know it's wrong, but we do it anyway. That's not righteous because we were created 
to love God and respect him and look at him as king and master and friend. So when we sin, we are not being righteous. God never, like, I think of it this way. Like, there's been times growing up, you know, where, like, my mom or dad would be righteous. They'd be a good parent, you know. But then I would act out. You know, I would, I was such a bad arguer. Like seriously, my parents told me I was going to grow up to be a lawyer because I argued so much. I was always asking why, why not? How come? Like just always asking questions and always trying to like stir the pot as a kid and always like getting on my parents' nerves. There was times where I would push them so far that they would stop being righteous towards me and they would get angry and they would get in the flesh. God is awesome because no matter how far we push him, he never gets in the flesh. He's always righteous. He, you, you guys just need to understand this. If you're here today and you're sinning, or maybe some of you guys are just here and you're like full on just like in rebellion. Like maybe you're here on a Sunday and you're like, hey, I'm here and I'm wearing my Sunday best and I look good on the outside, but on the inside you're just like wrestling with all this sin and darkness and rebellion. You need to know that no matter how bad you are right now in your life, God is loving towards you, and he's actively seeking your best. He's actively trying to pull you out of that pit. He's actively trying to restore you. That's, that's righteousness, and I, I just love that about God. Let's continue on in the video, and we'll keep getting into this topic. How you guys doing? You having a good time? Yeah? Good stuff? All right, cool. Here we go. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. Okay. So a lot of loaded stuff in there. Here is my first question. What is the difference between justice and righteousness? Anybody? What do you guys think? Justice, righteousness. What is the difference? Righteousness, Seneca. Justice, mishpat is the Hebrew. Anybody? Matt, what do you think? Hmm. No. Matt, let me tell you, you are just exactly right. Here is straight from thebibleproject.com. Look at it this way. Sedeca, the standard of right relationship between all people. So Sedeca, righteousness. Righteousness, the standard of all right relationships between all people and God. Mishpat, justice, the actions you do to create the standard of Sedeca. So there's righteousness. Justice is what you do to create righteousness. Does that make sense? There's things all around you in your life that are unjust. You doing justice creates righteousness. Basically, think of it this way. All around you in your life, there's people who are not in right relationship with one another and with God. Let me just give you a really practical example. Let's say you have two, how many of you guys have siblings? Siblings, yeah? Okay. So. Let's say your siblings are fighting. How many of you guys have younger siblings, multiple younger siblings than you? Do they fight? Yeah? Okay. So let's say your siblings are fighting, and then you as big brother or big sister step in. You're looking at your siblings. There is not righteousness between them because their relationship as siblings, which is supposed to be loving, is now been corrupted, okay? They're fighting, okay? This is like a deep way of thinking about this. Like we all deal with this on a regular basis. We deal with siblings fighting. So you're looking at them fighting, and their relationship with one another is not right. You stepping in as big brother or big sister and saying, hey guys, let's talk about this, let's work this out, let's pray, and then all of a sudden your siblings are getting along again, you have done justice because you are restoring their relationship. It's, it's a godly thing to do. So that's just a really basic way of thinking about it. So here's the next question. Why should we help others? People who are dealing with injustice all around us, why should we help them? Yes, Gwen? Right. Yeah, it's going back to that original thing. There's a humanistic way of thinking about it, okay? So in humanistic, secular humanism, there's so much charity. Like, you can find the worst person out there, the worst celebrity, but you can bet that they've done some charity. So charity feels good. 
and it looks good. You can take a selfie of yourself helping somebody, and it, you know, it seems awesome. Biblically, we don't do justice or charity or righteousness to look good. We don't do it for a selfie. We don't go on the mission strip to post the picture of ourselves holding the orphan baby. I know sometimes we do, but if that's our mentality, if the reason we're doing it is to get that photo, that's not righteousness. If we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart, that is what it's supposed to be. Biblically, we do justice, we do righteousness and charity because everyone is made in God's image and everyone deserves love. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. So here's another thing. He talked about retributive justice, okay? That means someone does something wrong and then they're punished. Why is that still important? Why is that an important part of the equation? Anybody? Yeah, Gwen. Exactly. Retributive justice is important because it protects victims and it helps people to not be hurt again. So like on a small scale, um, I remember... There was a time where I was the youth kind of school pastor here when we had the school, and there was a couple students who were teasing another student and basically just like calling him gay constantly, just constantly teasing him because he talked a little bit different. And so they dragged me and these kids and their parents into this room, and we had this long discussion, and these two junior high boys were like crying because they were so embarrassed, and they realized the wrong that they had done to tease this other boy. And that was retributive justice, and it was good because it was punishment. I mean, obviously, we didn't, like, you know, kill the kids involved. Like, we didn't, like, smack them or, like, you know, we just, we, we talked to them, and we said, you can't do this anymore. And it helped them to not do it again. On a bigger scale, you know, someone murders somebody. I mean, yes, we want to show grace. Like, yes, we want to love people, but do we just let the murderer go free? No. Like, we need to protect other people from getting killed again. So, let's ask another question. What does it mean, this was an interesting thing that he said, they talked about changing social structures in the name of justice. What does that mean? To change, like, what does it mean to change a social structure in the name of justice? Anybody? You're like, you're making us think today. What would an example be of changing a social structure? Anybody? I'll just, okay, here, here's, here's a really big one. Ending slavery, okay? So that was one where that's a social structure. It's like at one point in our nation's history and pretty much the whole world's history, it was normal. Like slavery was just a part of life. You abused other people to build your farms and to build your homes and to build your buildings. That was what you did. And some brave people in culture stood up and said, this is biblically wrong. Even when there was like pastors who were like, no, because in the Bible there was slavery, so it's totally fine. There was people who rose up and said, no, all people are made equal in God's image. And so this is something that should be brought down. That's changing a social structure. Our church works to do this. We have a homeless outreach here in the church. There's a social structure out on the streets. Homelessness exists, and it's a problem. Vista has so many homeless people. So we're working to change the structure. How do we do it? The old structure is you get no help if you have no job, right? You have no job, you can't work, so you don't get anything. Our church says, you know what? Our doors are open. You're made in the image of God. You're homeless. Come in, get prayer. We'll go get you some food. We have a a room in the back where we have all these bags of food that people donate on a regular basis. That's a way that we can help change the social structure. So here is a practical way that you guys can change social structures. So I don't know if school's changed since I was a kid, but I remember when I was a student, there was cool kids, there was people in the middle, and then there was losers. That was the social structure. You can change the system by looking at somebody who is I mean, I'm sure you guys know like how to figure this out. I'm sure that you guys are, like, I'm sure at school you can realize, okay, who is higher on the social totem pole than me and who is lower, right? Who is cooler than me, who is not as cool as me, right? We all are thinking of that at a regular basis. We all have a certain amount of friends or a certain amount of popularity, okay? What do we wanna do? We get to school, 
we see our friends. Our friends help us be popular because if we didn't have friends, we wouldn't be popular, right? So we bring our friends into our circle and we say, sit with me, hang out with me, text in class with me, let's do a live video in our math class. That's apparently something people do now. Like when I was a kid, like people punched you if you had a, your, your teachers would literally like throw things at you if you had a cell phone in class. Do you guys just, can you just have cell phones out in class now? Is that just the thing? Yeah? Oh my gosh, it's a crazy new world. Anyway. I'm old. <laughs> Let's just face it. I'm, old. I'm getting older. I am old. Anyway, okay, so you see people who are lower on the social status changing the system is saying, hey, you sit with me. Hey, come hang out with us. Like going to your three or four friends who are popular and saying, hey, let's, let's go sit with that girl who's sitting by herself. Let's just make her day. Like, not sit down and do, like, the mean girls thing where, like, oh, you're wearing that? Oh, my gosh. Like, but, like, literally going to, like, that guy or that girl who is obviously lower on the social status and just making them feel amazing. Just treating them like they are your best friend. Jesus talked about this. He said, um, when you throw a party, this is G straight from the mouth of Jesus. When you throw a party, he says, what do you want to do? You have a table. You have the best seat in the house for the most popular person, the best dressed, best hair, coolest person. Like, that's who you put at the head of the table. And then, like, some loser walks in, and you're like, oh, sorry, like, there's no more room at the table, but I guess you can, like, sit on the footstool and, like, just kind of, like, you know, pull it up a little bit closer. Have you guys ever been in a situation like this? Like, you know, the group is already formed. Someone else shows up and you're like, oh, sorry, there's no more room. Like, we already kind of have our, sorry, like, it'd be weird. Like, it'd be kind of awkward. You know what I'm talking about? These situations where it's kind of like you don't want the outsider to come in because they'll mess up the vibe, right? So what does Jesus say? Jesus says when you throw a party, you save the best seats at the table for the beggars, for the losers. When they come in late, you say, oh, hey, we saved a seat for you. Get in here. Sit at the head of the table. And then he says, the coolest people, the kings, the queens, they, for themselves, choose the lesser seats. And they, like, that's just mind-blowing. Like, that's Jesus. That's, man, we could do a whole series on just that parable and relate it to high school. But think about that today. Think about what Jesus is talking about. School does not revolve around you. I'll just say this really quick. School does not revolve around you. And the reality is, no matter how cool you were in high school, when you're my age, it's not going to matter. It, like, literally, I don't think about high school. And when I do, it's painful. <laughs> but, uh, it, like, none of that stuff matters. The people in my high school who were, like, the coolest people in my high school, like, they're, like, working IT jobs or, like, working at Starbucks or, like, they're not cool anymore and if they, like, if they start bragging about how cool they were in high school, that's not cool. That's like, dude, what are you, why are you talking about 10th grade? Like, that was, like, 15 years. Dude, what are you, like, yeah, I know you threw that football that one time and, like, caught it. But, like, whatever, man. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. This stuff doesn't matter. What matters is what we do for the kingdom of God. That's the only thing that lasts. So, getting off on a tangent there. You guys can do righteousness right now by doing something that'll last, by seeing somebody who is lower on the social structure in your school, reaching down and pulling them up to a new level and saying, hey, you can roll with us. Hey, you can sit with us. You can eat with us. You can be friends with us. Is that something on a regular basis you do at your school? Is that your ministry? Because if it's not, it should be. It should be. Every single one of you guys are called into ministry, not to work at a church. Maybe some of you guys will work at a church one day. Every Christian is called into ministry. If you're like, what's my ministry? Like, there's no openings. Like, Aaron hasn't asked me to come up and teach youth group, and like, I can't lead worship, and I don't like the nursery because they smell. Like, I can't do ministry. You can at your school. You can serve Jesus by loving the least of these the way Jesus would. So, why? question, do they define helping the vulnerable as restorative justice? We talked about two kinds of justice. You're going to learn two different justice words. Retributive justice is what? We just talked about it. What? Punishment, okay? Now we're going to talk about restorative justice. What is that? Anybody want to take a guess? Restorative justice. Yes. Yes. 
restoring people to right relationship with God and others. So here's a really cool way that this can happen. So we talked about criminals, right? So let's say there's a criminal and he kills somebody or he steals or whatever, you know, does something bad. Restorative justice is important. Lock him, lock him up, lock him up. <laughs> but like, you know, lock him up, right? Like, because you're, why? You're keeping him from hurting other people. That's justice. But that's just one side of the justice coin. Retributive justice is important, but let's talk about restorative justice. What's even better is once you put that guy away, once you put him in jail, do you just leave him to rot? Do you just say, oh, you killed somebody, so now you just, you know, stay in jail and you go to hell? Like, is that what we say to people? No. The awesome way that we can do restorative justice is, and I have guys on the church staff who do this, it's prison ministry. It's saying, okay, that guy did something wrong, he got locked up, but now we're gonna go to him, we're gonna sit down with him, and we're gonna say, hey, even though you killed somebody, I'm looking at you in the eye, and I'm saying, God loves you, and you're made in his image, and you have the opportunity to be forgiven if you turn to Christ. There's so many people in jails who get saved. It's just, it's exciting. It's exciting that we have a God that is passionate about restorative justice. Not just punishing, but restoring. If you're here today and you're in sin, you need to know that God does want to punish because he cares, like a father cares about keeping a child from running into a fireplace. He punishes, he pulls the baby aside and, hey, don't do that. Don't run into the fire. But he is also a God who is restorative. You need to know that if you're in sin today, God wants to restore you. It's exciting. So let's go to the next part. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged, and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Okay. So, notice, he talked about the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. In the Bible, this is kind of known among Bible scholars as the quartet of the vulnerable. It's talking about people who can't stand up for themselves. Immigrants, orphans, widows. People in the Bible who in their culture, they could not help themselves. They could not do anything for themselves. And so in Hebrew culture, it was like, hey, you know what? If you're somebody who works in a field, if you're somebody who works with grain, you go and you harvest your grain, but then you leave a bunch of grain just sitting in the field for the widows. And then the widows will come out and they'll grab some of that grain. The Hebrews could have been like, no way, God, that's my grain. I worked for that grain. But you know what? In God's culture, it was, you know what? Yeah, you work hard for what you have, but you also have this generous heart to give to others, whether you feel like they deserve it or not, because everyone deserves help. So in our culture today, who are those who cannot speak for themselves? Who are those who are vulnerable? Anybody? Unborn babies, for sure. Like, can they speak for themselves? No. Like, they cannot say anything. You could hold a microphone up to some lady's stomach and you would not hear anything. Okay. Um, who, uh, yeah. <laughs> who else can't speak for themselves? Yeah, Philip. I know you're just stretching, but I'm just going to call on you. And don't take this literally, because like, I'm not saying like who literally is just mute, but who, uh, who out there has a hard time putting themselves out there? Anybody? Deaf people? I think you said dead people at first. I was like, yeah, they definitely can't speak for themselves. Deaf people, for sure. Super vulnerable to be a deaf person. Anybody else? Who's vulnerable? Like at, at your schools, let's think. Let's brainstorm. At school, who is kind of like the outsider? Like don't name them. Don't like point to like, it's him. <laughs> He's the outsider. Let's all be his friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt. Yeah. Let's just, let's just say what it is, it, homeschoolers. Yeah. Hey, sorry, <laughs> you know. No, I'm just kidding. Homeschoolers are great. Um, wow, okay, I'm gonna get in trouble from you guys for that one. Don't, don't beat me up if you're in homeschool. Okay, so um, here are people that I think when I was growing up, it was the single, you know? 
How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, when like everyone around you is dating and they're like so cool. It's like, oh, they look so good. And they're taking all these couple Instagram photos and you're just sitting there by yourself. Like, should I take a selfie? Eh, like, no, it's lame. Like no one wants to see a selfie. They want to see couple photos. They want to have relationship goals, right? The friendless, people who have no friends, people who just sit by themselves, people who are loners. I was that guy. I had no friend group in high school. I had three best friends in middle school. They all moved away at the end of the eighth grade. High school, I was a wandering wanderer, and I would, sh I would literally show up to like groups of people, and they would, I was funny, so they would like to have me around for a couple jokes, but then when it came time to hang, when it came time, like, let's all go get, you know, smoothies or like whatever. And when it came time to like go hang out, let's go get burgers. I was never invited to that stuff. I always felt left out in high school. People who are unpopular, people who are socially awkward, okay? People who are bad on social media. You know like that one guy in your school who like he'll post and it'll get like one like and it's like his mom, you know? And like, you know what I mean? Like the, man, those are people who can't speak for themselves. They're vulnerable. I remember I remember, um, man, I had this friend in high school. We were pretty close in middle school, and then in high school, we kind of drifted apart. I went to a private Christian school, and I think around our junior year, this, it came out that this guy was gay, so he, you know, he, he got outed, basically. And what happened was, you know, it's this private Christian school, it's the early 2000s, homosexuality was not really the thing it is today where it's big in the media. It was kind of this thing where if you're gay, you hide it, and it's like this super like, like major in the closet type of thing. So it came out that this guy was gay, and what happened was he got expelled, and literally it was like pretty much all of us who were his friends, we didn't talk to him anymore because it was just kind of like, well, we're Christians and he's gay, so that's that. And I look back and I'm like, man, that guy was super vulnerable. Like to think of what he was going through, to think that he was going through this struggle with his sexuality and trying to figure himself out and obviously walking down the wrong path, but not having anyone to help, not having anyone to say, hey, you know, I love you, man. Even though you're struggling with that, you're, you're made in God's image and I'm your friend and I'm here for you. If you ever need to talk, if you ever need to hang, I wish I was there for him. Looking back, I. I just am so often guilty thinking about how I didn't reach out to this guy. I didn't say, hey, you know what? I know you got expelled, but we're still cool. We're friends, and I'm here for you, and I wanna pray for you, and I wanna help you. I wish I would have been there for that guy. Let's continue in the video. Here's the next part. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Well, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. Okay. So, rasha. Everyone say rasha. Wicked, okay? So, what does he mean by wicked? What does wickedness mean? Anybody? Evil. Evil! SpongeBob, Captain Mermaid and Barnacle Boy. Evil! <laughs> Mermaid Man, thank you. Sorry, sorry I'm not all up on my SpongeBob trivia. If you guys want uh, to know about SpongeBob, check with Bradley. He's the resident SpongeBob expert. Uh, all day, every day, just it's SpongeBob for him. He actually manages the SpongeBob Wikipedia, so talk to <laughs> I'm sorry, Bradley. I love your shirt. I love the eagerness of that hamburger's eyes, like just how wide-eyed and like full of hope he is that you're not gonna eat him. Anyway, okay, sorry. <laughs> what, does he mean, what does he mean by wicked, anybody? What do you think, besides evil? Stefan. Treating others the way they do not deserve to be treated. That's good. I'm gonna read a quote by Bruce Waltke. He says, the righteous, okay, who wants to be righteous here? Anyone wanna be righteous? So righteous, okay. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. Did you guys catch that? The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to help their community. The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That's a biblical definition of wickedness. So for you, if you walk into your school and you're thinking, how can I push other people down 
to increase my popularity, to increase my status, the Bible, Jesus, God, would define that as wicked. But if you're walking into your school saying, how can I disadvantage myself? How can I lower myself? How can I decrease so that Jesus can increase? How can I decrease so that others can be blessed? Man, that's righteousness. So good. So here's an example. You're at school, okay? Someone is being mocked. How many of you guys have ever seen someone be mocked? Okay, you, some of you guys probably don't know what that means. How many of you guys have ever seen someone get roasted? Okay, <laughs> just made fun. Hey, okay, I know I'm old. I'm just, I'm trying here, okay? Um, <laughs> roasted, just, you know, just roasted in a really lit way, you know? <laughs> yeah, hashtag, no, I don't know. Okay, anyway, so at school, someone is being mocked, roasted, gossiped about. So what do you do? Do you sit back? Do you just let it happen? And I'm talking about like not one of your friends. We were like, I will kill you. Like you mess with my girlfriend, I will kill you. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like you see somebody where it's like you don't really, you're not connected to them. They're not your friend. Like, you know, you don't have any like obligation to be there for them. So what do you do? Do you sit back and let it happen? Do you maybe join in or like laugh because you're like, yeah, that guy is a loser. Like, do you do that? Or do you put yourself on the line and defend that person? If you do, the Bible says that's righteous because you're, def- you're disadvantaging yourself. You're putting yourself out there for someone that does not deserve your help, someone who has not earned it. They're not your friend. But you see them being harmed, and you put yourself in the line of fire. That's righteous. Now, here's the other side. If you're the one mocking or gossiping, pushing down to lift yourself up, the Bible calls that wickedness. So, I mean, there's more to this. I think I will continue it next week, and we will stop here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would just help us, God, to do justice to love righteousness, and to be merciful, like you say in the book of Micah. God, I pray for these students that you would help them go out from here today with a heart to love their communities, with a heart to to reach down to those who are less fortunate in their schools, in their communities, and pull them up, God. Not to say, you pull yourself up. You know, if you wanna be as popular as me, you have to earn it. You have to get all these likes on social media. Help us not to be like that, but help us, God, to reach out to everyone around us, God. Help us to look for those who are disadvantaged and to, to, to want to restore right relationship, God, between them and others. Help us to look for those who are in pain, who are broken, who are hurting. God, I pray that you would use these students in their schools and that would prepare them for the things that you wanna do in college, in their work, in their career, in their service and ministry later on. God, help every student here to realize that they have a ministry in their schools. They have an opportunity to serve you exactly where they are right now. We love you, God. We give you this day. We thank you. In your name, amen. Amen.